With that said, we're in Romans chapter 1 tonight, and we want to continue on in Romans. So if you would open up your Bibles, uh, get ready. Well, of course, we'll put it up on the screen, but it's always good just to have your own Bible. You can make notes, uh, mark it, and uh, remember those promises of God. But uh, let's go ahead and open in prayer, and then we'll get into tonight's Bible study. Lord, we thank you so much for this time together. We thank you for just the opportunity to come and hear your word, Lord, to worship you, to magnify your name, and to learn from you. And Lord, tonight as we enter into this book, we pray that your Holy Spirit would teach us, convict us of sin. And Lord, we thank you that you don't just convict, you save. And we thank you that you redeem. And so, Lord, we do pray that you would just do that wonderful work upon our lives and our hearts, that we might be transformed into your likeness and reflect you in all things. And so we thank you and we pray all this in Jesus' name. And all God's people said, amen. All right. So we left off last week in Romans chapter 1, verses 17 and 18. And uh, that was purposeful. And I actually want to read them to you one more time tonight as we enter into verse 18. Because uh, from 18, chapter 1, chapter 1, verse 18, all the way to 3, verse, uh, it's 3, verse 20, or 20, yeah, 3, verse 20, we're going to be talking about the wrath of God. It's the stuff we don't like to hear about, the, the, what we don't like to hear, and why God's wrath is coming against man, why we're guilty. And uh, no one likes to be told that they're guilty, but Paul is going to lay down the framework, the understanding of how guilty we are, but we need to keep in mind verses 17 and 18 and everything following these, these chapters. So verse 17, if you remember, it said, well, verse 16, for I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God to salvation for everyone who believes, for the Jew first and also for the Greek for in it, the righteousness of God is revealed from faith to faith, as, ri- as it is written, the just shall live by faith. And the reason why we want to make sure we frame where we're going next in chapter 1 with that is that as Paul says that I'm not ashamed of the gospel of God because it, it, it's power, it's God's power for salvation. And then he sa- to lets us understand that, that through the gospel... The righteousness of God is revealed to us because what we're about to see is how unrighteous we are and how deserving of judgment and wrath we are. And so it's so important for us to understand that, that wait a minute, in this gospel, this good news of Jesus Christ that he's come to, to, to redeem the sinner, to die on the cross for the sinner, to be put to death, to suffer, and then on the third day rise again, when we receive that message, we understand that, that all who believe on him, all who receive him, receive his righteousness. We, we actually, he imputes to us that righteousness, and that's coming later on in Romans. But, but when we understand that, that it's through that gospel, that good news message, that, that God reveals the power, the, the redemption, then we go, okay, there's, there's hope for the sinner. Now, Romans 1 18, as we start into this, uh, we're going to see that, that it answers a lot of questions. Uh, I know when I was a youth pastor and kids would have a question, why do people do this? I said, let's go to Romans 8, 1, 18. 
boom. And we start going through Romans 1, and they go, oh, okay, now I understand. It's going to answer a lot of questions about our sin nature. So with that said, I'm going to read through it as a letter first, and then we're going to go back through and break it down because I want to make sure as we go through Romans, we keep the big picture. And as I said before, every verse in Romans is a sermon, at least one sermon, if not five sermons. Uh, But we're going to, for Sunday nights, we want to keep it uh, a little bit broader so that we can uh, keep the context of everything. So here we go. Romans 1, verse 18. For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who suppress the truth in unrighteousness because what may be known of God is manifest in them For God has shown it to them. For since the creation of the world, his invisible attributes are clearly seen, being understood by the things that are made. Even his eternal power and Godhead, so that they are without excuse. Because although they knew God, they they did not give glorify him as God, nor were thankful, but became futile in their thoughts, and their foolish hearts were darkened. Professing to be wise, they became fools and changed the glory of the incorruptible God into an image made like corruptible man and birds and four-footed animals and creeping things. Therefore, God gave them up to uncleanliness in the lust of their hearts to dishonor their bodies among themselves, who exchanged the truth of God for the lie and worshiped and served the creature rather than the creator Who is blessed forever, amen. For this reason, God gave them up to vile passions, for even their women exchanged the natural use for what is against nature. Likewise, also men, leaving the natural use of the woman, burned in their lust for one another. Men with men, committing what is shameful, and receiving in themselves the penalty of their error, which was due. Verse 28. And even as they did not like to retain God in their knowledge, God gave them over to a debased mind to do those things which are not fitting, being filled with all unrighteousness, sexual immorality, wickedness, covetousness, covetousness, maliciousness, full of envy, murder, strife, deceit, evil-mindedness. They are whisperers, backbiters, haters of God, violent, proud, boasters, Inventors of evil things, disobedient to parents, undiscerning, untrustworthy, unloving, unforgiving, unmerciful, who, knowing the righteous judgment of God, that those who practice such things are deserving of death, not only do the same, but also approve of those who practice them. (laughs) Well, we're going to break this down, but I'll tell you this much. As we read through this, this passage of Romans 1, and we're tempted to ask questions about our own culture and go, why do, does the culture embrace these things? Not only embrace, but almost push upon us their wickedness. Romans 1 answers it. So let's just jump in here to verse 18 as it, we read that, for the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who suppress the truth in unrighteousness. Well, the first thing we, we read here and that we have to understand is 
that God's wrath is being revealed. And what is it being revealed against? Well, it tells us that the ungodliness and unrighteousness, that, that God's wrath is coming. Now, when we think about the wrath of God, no one wants to hear about the wrath of God. Uh, we don't want to hear hellfire and brimstone. We want to hear God loves you. God's really happy with you. You can't do anything wrong. You're the best. But that's actually not the truth at all. That's not your situation. And for, one of, for us, for anyone in the pulpit to tell you that, they're lying not only for, for your detriment, but also to their shame. Because the fact is, is that man is deserving of the wrath of God. And you might say, well, wait a minute, I'm basically a good person. I, I, I basically do good things. Well, basically good is not good enough. And so, and I know that most of us in here tonight are born again believers. We've trusted in the Lord Jesus Christ. And we know that, uh, that through Christ, we receive that redemption and that forgiveness and how wonderful that is. But we have to understand that wrath is, is coming. And, and, and we, when we get into Revelation, we look at the tribulation period. Actually, when you, when you read through Revel, the book of Revelation, you, you see that it's just wrath. In fact, uh, a couple of years ago when we taught through it on Sunday night, it was just kind of like, here's another judgment. Here's another judgment. Here's another judgment. And I remember remarking to our congregation saying, you know, isn't it wonderful to know that being in Christ we won't suffer those judgments. We, we get an opportunity to go be with the Lord. We're caught up. We're with him. Uh, we don't have to go through that. And it's also a call to come to him because wrath is coming. And, and so as God, as God reveals his wrath, I want you to understand this because we have trouble with wrath or especially the wrath of God. See, you and I are angry. We get angry. But the Bible tells us that the, the anger of a man does not bring about the righteousness of God. That when God is angry, it's different than you and I when we're angry. See, we have a very hard time being angry and not sinning. That's a a challenge for for us. Uh, But when God is angry, he's absolutely just in his anger. In fact, on that day when we see the judgment of God, when we're all standing before the throne and we're witnessing the judgment of God, you know what we're going to say when God judges? Oh, that was a good judgment. That's what we're all going to be acknowledging. That was a wonderful judgment. Wow, God is so just. We're not going to be saying, oh, oh, why would he do that? What a terrible judgment. We're we're not going to say that when we see God making judgments. We're going to recognize that God's justice on display is always good. But also his grace is even better, right? (laughs) That we get to receive his grace. God is not, uh, when God's wrath is being revealed, it's absolutely just and deserving. So he says that the wrath is, Paul lets us know that the wrath is being revealed against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men. These two words have to do with two relationships. Ungodliness is our vertical relationship with God. It's our false piety. It's our failed piety, I should say. Uh, and it is, uh, it's sin against God. Unrighteousness could also be translated wickedness, and that's our horizontal relationships, and that's our sin against men. 
So, uh, so God's wrath is being revealed. Why? Because of our sin against God and our sin against other men. And that's, that's an important distinction. You know, when you look at the Ten Commandments, the Ten Commandments starts out with laws. The, the first part of the Ten Commandments is our laws, laws pertaining to our vertical relationship, to, laws pertaining to God. And, and the, the latter part of the Ten Commandments is re- pertaining to our horizontal relationships with each other, right? And, and so here, as Paul shares about this, he says, Listen, God's wrath is coming because you sinned against God and you've sinned against others. Now, we might be kind of prone to say, well, I'm not really a sinner. Well, hold on. That's why Paul's laying out this argument. Because he needs everyone to know that God's wrath is coming and even you, the basically good person, are in danger of judgment. And Paul is bringing this message that you might be rescued from judgment. And, and that's where you have to understand that this, as we go through this passage tonight, the passage is not that you would stay the sinner, the stay the one under God's wrath, but that you would move, that positionally you would move into Christ, and that Christ would give you his righteousness. So, so we move on to verse 19, because what may be known of God is manifest to them, for God has shown it to them. For since the creation of the world, his invisible attributes are clearly seen, being understood by the things that are made, even his eternal power and Godhead, so that they are without excuse, because although they knew God, they did not glorify him as God, nor were thankful, but became futile in their hearts, or sorry, in their thoughts, and their foolish hearts were darkened. Professing to be wise, they became fools and changed the glory of the incorruptible God into an image made like corruptible man and birds and four-footed animals and creeping things. So Paul begins with the ungodliness, those sins against God, as he begins to lay out his argument for why God's wrath is coming against you. And he starts out with this idea that since the creation of the world, God is, can be found. God isn't hiding from anyone. That God has left everyone with the ability, every single person on the planet, anyone who's ever created, he's given you the ability to understand that there is a God. And and that's actually a marvelous idea. Because God's saying, I'm not going to hide anything from you. I'm going to, obviously God reveals himself through the creation. We have a natural revelation of God. And of course, through the word, we have a more specific revelation of God of God, um, and through the natural revelation, man is already under judgment because man, rather than recognizing God as the creator and understanding these things are made by his eternal power, uh, that be, they do not glorify him as God or give thanks to him as God. Now, I just want to say this about the creation. It's interesting that that since Darwinian evolution came on the scene, and it started being promoted, this idea of this simple single-cell organism. It has so corrupted not only those who teach science. In fact, uh, as, as science actually advances, as discovering is, discoveries are being made, we've learned that the single cell is not so simple at all. In fact, a single cell is incredibly complicated, 
And there's all sorts of questions that come up with Darwinian, the theory of Darwinian evolution. Although in your schools, and especially for some of you younger people in junior high and high school, it's being taught as fact, nothing could be further from the truth because the cutting edge of science is actually saying all the very opposite of what you're being taught in schools right now. Problem is the schools, the schools have... The teachers have been so indoctrinated with the lie <laughs> that they, they haven't caught up to the truth. And, and as you start to examine the cell, the, the, the single cell organism, you find a programming so rich that it would be impossible for it to evolve into a multi-celled organism. It's impossible on lots of levels. It's impossible on the level of programming. Uh, how God has designed it with the DNA. It's impossible on a level of time. And not to mention species. So when we look around the creation, we can see that, wow, look at what God has made. I have some pictures here that I've taken, and I just want to show you these pictures. Unfortunately, my pictures of the flowers that I told you about didn't show up. You got these pictures here? Yeah, that's uh, uh, that's a Nile crocodile with his mouth open. I, he ate my camera. I was trying to get it back. No, just kidding. These are cheetahs. Now, do you notice the similarity between the cheetah and the Nile crocodile? Well, go on to the next page, next photo. There's a zebra. And, of course, they're also similar, aren't they? Can't you just see how they evolved? No, actually what we see is like, wow, look at the differences Look at how unique, look at how specific these animals are designed, specifically designed to, to accomplish what they need to. I like that picture. <laughs> so, you know, you so desperately want to pet that baby, but you know, you don't dare do that. <laughs> so, uh, look at that bird. See the, the similarity between the bird and the hippo? That's a, a, a Egyptian geese. They have these in Irvine Park. Yeah. Look at the similarities between that Egyptian goose and this woman and her baby. You know what's more amazing about this is that it's man that actually has thoughts about their thoughts. That man actually thinks about God. Man actually thinks about why am I here? And asking those deep questions of life. I've never found my dog so depressed because he just knows that everything eventually is going to burn out and he's going to cease to exist. Well, of course, I have a bull mastiff, so she always looks depressed. But <laughs> that's my daughter. You know what? That's absolutely my daughter. <laughs> I, I chose this picture. I, I took this recently on a photo trip with her. But, but as my daughter is so different from my oldest, this is my middle daughter, Claire. And she's so unique to my oldest daughter, Elise. And so different from my youngest daughter. And my wife and I always have conversations about Claire, how, Claire, you got to really work to unpack what she's thinking. You got to really, really get in there and hear her. 
where Lucy's all over the place. She knows everybody in a few minutes. And, and Elise is exactly like my wife. So I, I, I knew Elise from the moment she was born. I can predict everything she's going to do. Claire's the one that's a little bit tougher. How fearfully and wonderfully made she is. Fearfully and wonderfully made. Of course, I had pictures of flowers too, but, but when you're thinking about these ideas that how man tries to write God out of the picture, you start to say, we're not just talking about, about gross evolution from cell to slow animal up to ape, the, the picture they show you. We're talking about every single seed, every single bird, every single bug, every single animal. And of course, God's pinnacle of his creation, you and me, the ones who have thoughts about their thoughts, who understand right and wrong by nature, who understand what it means to sin against God and knows that they have a conscience. Yeah, we're talking about God has imprinted on you. He's created you in his image which is so different than even all the animals, that wonderful animals. God's eternal power has, has been made known, understood by the things that are made, even his eternal power and Godhead, so that they are without excuse. Because although they knew God, here's the problem, although they knew God, they did not glorify him as God. This is the ungodliness. Nor were they thankful but they became futile in their thoughts, and their foolish hearts were darkened. That lack of thankfulness to God, uh, that pride that sets in a man who says, I don't need God, it darkened their hearts. Look at this. Professing to be wise, they became fools. This is Forrest Gump doctrine. You guys all seen Forrest Gump? He says a saying in Forrest Gump, stupid is as stupid does. Yeah, this is the Forrest Gump doctrine right here. Because professing to be wise, they became fools. Not only were they, did they become stupid, but then they continued to do stupid. And, and here's what they do in their stupid ideas. Uh, it says, and they changed the glory of the incorruptible God into an image made like corruptible man. And birds and four-footed animals and creeping things. So as the man is carving out the idol, as, as the man sees the bird... And starts going, oh, I should probably worship that bird. That's a, probably a good idea. That, that bird looks really incredible. And they watch this bird and they say, oh, yeah, that bird must be God. And they, they start to carve out their idol. And, of course, Isaiah gives, um, is so sarcastic about idol makers. And you can look that. We don't have time to go into it tonight. But Isaiah just gives it, fires both guns against idol makers and how foolish they are. From cutting down the wood to carving, to lighting the fire, to carving the, the idol. And then they fall, bow down and worship it and the rest they cook a dinner with, right? Because they're, in their foolish hearts, as they were darkened, they became stupid. They just became stupid and then they did foolish things. They, they exchanged the truth of God for four-footed animals. All because they refused to worship God. So, what happens? Verse 24, therefore God also gave them up to uncleanliness in lust of their hearts to dishonor their bodies among themselves. Okay, I'm going to pause there for one minute. So in rejecting the truth of God, in believing the lie, 
and refusing to be thankful to God, we find that man starts to worship himself. And man starts to say, I don't need God. So where do you fit into Romans so far? Well, we fit into Romans already at this point. You may not be falling down making an idol or worshiping a a creeping thing or a four-legged thing or a a man image. But the question is, is do you surrender your life to God? Are you giving thanks to God and walking in thanksgiving? Or are you saying, hey, I'm okay? Or, or are you justifying your own sin? Are you trying to take the place of God saying, no, God doesn't care about this sin. He cares about those sins, but not this one, you know. And, and that's where we're starting to try to take the place of God. So therefore, God also gave them up to uncleanliness and the lust of their hearts, to dishonor their bodies among themselves, who exchanged the truth of God for the lie, and worshiped and served the creature rather than the creator, who is blessed forever. Amen. Obviously, our worship should be directed toward the Creator. Sorry, i got to check my time here. All right. Uh, verse 26. For this reason, God gave them up to vile passions. For even their women exchanged the, <clears throat> exchanged the natural use for what is against nature. Likewise, also the men, leaving the natural use of the woman, burned in their lust for one another. Men with men committing what is shameful and receiving in themselves the penalty of their error which was due. I'm so glad we are in Romans chapter 1 during shame month here in June. The, I've heard Christian pastors, so-called Christian pastors, teach that, oh no, Jesus never taught against homosexuality. God doesn't care about homosexuality. And then, of course, they try to get Paul out of the Bible. Paul is saying that the result of a depraved mind, the result of sin, the result of rejecting God, is God giving over people to vile passions. And a part of that is chasing after unnatural relationships. That's what... The Bible is telling us. God never created this as natural. In fact, any child who, who goes through their first sex ed class, well, back to the normal sex ed class, can figure that out. The natural relationship from the unnatural one. The question is, am I hating on homosexuals? Not by any means. The wrath of God is being revealed against sinners. Turn with me over to 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 9. 1 Corinthians 6 and verse 9. I love this passage. In 1 Corinthians 6, verse 9, Paul says, Do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived. Neither fornicators, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor homosexuals, nor sodomites, nor thieves, nor covetous, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor extortioners will inherit the kingdom of God. And such were some of you, but you were washed, you were sanctified, but you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus and by the Spirit of God. 
Why do I love that verse? Well, I love this verse because it's the hope of God. So uh, uh, I think every one of us can find ourselves somewhere in that passage. Uh, Be it uh, the adulterers, idolaters, fornicators, homosexuals, sodomites, thieves, covetous. Well, Paul said that, that he was doing great with the law until it said, thou shalt not covet. And it ruined him. The Apostle Paul said that. He said, as soon as he learned that the law said, thou shalt not covet, he realized, whoa, that's the, the first law there that's a law that deals with the heart of man. And Paul said, I was undone by that law. I couldn't keep it. I was keeping the law blamelessly until that law, thou shalt not covet. Drunkards, revilers, extortioners, they will not inherit the kingdom of God. But, but here's the hope of Christ Verse 11, and, and such were some of you, but you were washed, you were sanctified. I love that verse. Such, hey, Corinthian church, do you remember? You were walking in this ungodliness. And, and you were walking in the sin, but God washed you. God sanctified you. God called you to himself. You repented of your sin. You forsook your sin and we're washed and we're cleansed in the name of the Lord Jesus by the Spirit of our God. So there's hope in God's story, but, but far be it from Paul or even from this pastor as he teaches the Word of God to try to tell you that you don't have to repent of sin. Uh, if God calls sin, sin, I'm not going to say it's not sin. And I hope no pastor ever from this place, this pulpit, will ever compromise the word of God. If so, I hope God removes the lampstand right quick, just gets rid of it. Because the fact is, is remember Paul said, I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God, that God has revealed to us the righteousness of God through this gospel message. So that those who are homosexuals, thieves, drunkards, revilers, covetousness, they they all have an opportunity for faith in Christ Jesus, they can turn. But we should not lie and say that these are natural relationships. Now, I just wanted for a moment to talk about love because uh, when the Supreme Court's court case came down that um, everyone deserves love, and that's why same-sex marriage should be allowed, even though it went against what God has already ordained from the creation of man, and the American government started rewriting the laws on it. Uh, when we look at uh, same-sex marriage, the justification was, well, people deserve to have love. And some of you young people are hearing this in your schools, that, well, love, love everyone deserves love. And, and, and it's, it's, it's not right that someone can't have love, and, and they need love. And let me just say this, um, if marriage was the answer to everyone's problems, we wouldn't have divorce. There wouldn't be a lack of love in marriage and in the home. So that's a terrible argument right off the bat. That, that love is what people need and love will lo, lo, the, give them this marriage because that will make them happy. Uh, it, it is true that we need to be loved, but we need to be loved by the Lord Jesus Christ and love him, love him back. That's really what we need. Uh, we need a love from heaven, not, not a love from earth first. And uh, because it, it's that love from God that, that draws us to him and, and uh, we truly experience what, what true love is and good love. So 
Um, I just want to say that. So it, it tells us that likewise also men leaving the natural use, verse 27, of the woman, burn in their lust for one another with men committing what is shameful and receiving in themselves the penalty of their error which was due. I, I want to say this. God says these acts are shameful. And let, let me just explain this. Sin is shameful. All sin. Uh, sin outside of a, a, a heterosexual couple living together outside of marriage is shameful. Uh, a homosexual relationship is shameful. It's sin. And, and uh, what are we to do with sin? Well, we're to repent of it and bring it to the Lord God. But if God calls something shameful, it's not for us to say, but God, you don't understand. Hear me out for a moment. Let me explain why this is good. God, you don't understand why I should be able to steal from somebody. I really needed it, after all. God, you don't understand why it was wrong. I was really in love with my neighbor's wife, and that's why I I started this adulterous affair with him. Uh, The neighbor will get over it, right? (laughs) See, man will justify any sin under the sun. Notice that here, even in this very list, as we get toward the bottom, we're going to see a list of, of, of sins that Paul adds to this, and we can find ourselves in there. Kids, teenagers, there's one specifically for you in this list. Anybody find it yet? Any teenagers find it? Disobedient to parents. There it is. <laughs> I gotcha. <laughs> Disobedient to parents. Guess what? I was too. Uh, we all were at some time. We all had to learn obedience, right? That's just kind of one of the things. But, but we all find ourselves here in this list of sinners that because of these sins, God's wrath is coming. Anyway, moving on here, verse 28. And even as they did not like to retain God in their knowledge... So now what we have is a situation where God has finally handed over man. Okay, you want sin? You can have it. Go ahead. And they didn't want to be thankful to God. Now we, they, they actually want to get rid of God. They don't want God in their knowledge at all. Why do they not want God in their knowledge? Because they'll be convicted of sin. Because they'll understand that God's wrath is coming. And, and, uh, and their sin is going to bring that wrath upon them. So let's get rid of God. Let's not retain him in our knowledge. Look at what it says. God gave them over to a deba- debased mind to do those things which are not fitting. So we see a, the next level of depravity here. That God just gives them over to this mind. Uh, now the word debased actually can also be translated refuse. A mind of refuse. So... Uh, uh, have you ever been to the Braille Linda landfill? That's a place of refuse. Do you know what we call that in common terminology? The dump. <laughs> the dump. <laughs> so God has given our mind over to be a dump <laughs> as we continue on in our sin. Okay. So it says, which are not fitting. But now listen, verse 29, being filled with all unrighteousness. Here we go. Here's the list. Sexual immorality, wickedness, covetousness, maliciousness. Now, what is maliciousness? What is maliciousness? 
It's just being evil to one another, being mean. It's malicious behavior. You know, we certainly have seen our representatives acting that way, haven't we? Anybody give up on watching debates? I did. I was like, I can't handle this anymore. It's just maliciousness. It's just being evil to to each other. Um, And then what what do we see on social media? Someone does something, man, they're just malicious toward one another. Um, And and God's saying that God's wrath is coming because of that evil, because of maliciousness. Going on here with this list, full of envy. Well, that's, that's, that's wanting what other people have. Murder. Strife. Of course, oh, let me go back to murder. Jesus said that uh, I tell you the truth. If a man says racha in his heart, you fool. Like a uh, murderous idea, murderous thought uh, against uh, their neighbor or against the brother. That they're guilty of murder. Jesus says murder starts just in the heart. And, of course, when Jesus said, you've heard that it's said, do not commit murder, but I tell you, uh, Jesus helps us understand that these, all these sins start in the heart of man. And, sure, there's a consequence that happens when we actually conduct that sin. But, but really what we find out is, yeah, man, in my heart, I am so wicked. Just even the thoughts while driving on the freeway when someone cuts me off. Right? You ever guilty of murder? <laughs> I don't know. You might be. <laughs> so, so, um, so we just see that we're, we're full of this, this evil. Um, they're whispers. It's gossips. Backbiters. Anybody like gossiping? You, you find yourself gossiping, saying negative things about other people, or always looking for the juicy stuff to talk about somebody else? The wrath of God is coming for that. I, I hope that each and every one of us are finding ourselves here in this list going, I'm slain. I'm slain. <laughs> but, but uh, okay. And then it says, um, proud, boasters. Well, there, there you go. <laughs> Inventors of evil things, disobedient to parents. All right, teenagers and everyone in this room, I'm sure at some point in time you were disobedient to your parents, dishonoring to them. Undiscerning, untrustworthy. Uh, unloving. Oh, boy. All right, let's do a love test real quick here. Let's just do a love test. Just in case you haven't found yourself in the list yet, let me help you. On a scale of 1 to 10, how well do you love other people? Scale of 1 to 10. We got a 4. We got a 5. Anyone prefer, who doesn't even want to answer? <laughs> You're like, I don't want you to put the spotlight on me. You know? Maybe maybe someone's a high seven, high eight. Maybe anybody nine anybody nines in here? Got any nines? No? You guys are all too Christian. <laughs> all right. Let me ask you this question. When you compare yourself to Jesus Christ, does your score change on that scale at all. If Jesus is the perfect standard of how to love the other, does your, does your move at all, does your bar move at all? Because that's the standard. And if you're not hitting a perfect 10, you're missing the mark. And I, I know you and I 
we have trouble with loving others. Some days we do it really, really well. And we're happy. We did it. <laughs> and other days, we don't do it so well. We miss the mark. But Jesus is the standard. Unforgiving. God has forgiven you. You too ought also to forgive. Unmerciful. Who knowing the righteous judgment of God that those who practice such things are deserving of death. Now look at this. That we all have this understanding that God will judge. Even though we want to pretend like it's not going to happen, we all have this understanding that those who practice such things are deserving of death. Not only do they do the same, but they also approve of those who practice them. They encourage it. They encourage others to do these same sinful things. This is why the Bible talks about the, the sin of the fathers being handed down to the third and fourth generation. It's because we teach our children to sin. We teach our children how to justify sin because we ourselves are sinners. Now, I, I know many of you parents are, are born again and you're trying to raise your children the best you can to, to model Christ for them and praise God for you. I, I want to encourage you, you keep going. But, but we know that the ungodly not only do the sin and practice the sin, model the sin, but they encourage their children to do it as well. And certainly we've seen enough in the news all around us. Uh, there's a lot of low-hanging fruit right now in our culture that you can grab hold of quickly and apply it to, to this text. Okay, there's a lot of low-hanging fruit. fruit. Um, uh, I, I just can't believe it. And I don't even want to mention it from the pulpit, some of these things. That they're so evil. Now, you might still feel like you're doing pretty well. Let me just end with this verse tonight from Romans chapter 2, verse 12. It's kind of give you a preview of what's coming. Remember, Romans 1 through 18 through 321 is all about the wrath of God, 320. So Romans 2.12 says, For as many as have sinned without the law... Will also um, will also perish without the law, and as many as have sinned in the law will be judged by the law. This verse, what we learn here that Paul says is that that you and I, by nature, have a law. Uh, have you ever been really angry with somebody for doing something wrong to you? Anybody ever have that happen where they felt like they were wronged? Uh, and, and usually what, and what we learn is now we have a law. We have an understanding of some law, some, some aspect of righteousness. And, and usually what we find out is that when we're upset at somebody for doing something to us, we ourselves then go and turn and commit the same sin. We go and do the same thing and we justify why it's okay. And uh, so there's a, a little kid's uh, saying that will help you with this. When you point the finger at somebody... Uh, you've got three fingers pointing back at you and, and a thumb toward heaven, <laughs> holding you accountable. And so uh, Paul here is saying that, listen, uh, you might try to say, hey, I've never received the law of God. I didn't know the Ten Commandments, so therefore I should be considered innocent. Paul's saying, no, hey, those who have sinned without the law, they'll also perish without the law. Because God's standard stays the same because he's your creator. He's created you in his image. And there are things by nature you should know. And then those who have received the law, they, they're going to be judged by the law because they too are lawbreakers. So who can survive this? Only those who receive 
Jesus Christ as their Savior. I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God to salvation for everyone who believes, for the Jew first and also for the Greek. For in it the righteousness of God is revealed from faith to faith, as it is written, the just shall live by faith. Faith in Christ makes you exempt from this list of charges. Praise God for that, because I don't know about you, but I was slain multiple times on this list. And I am so happy that Jesus Christ died for me, and he did for you too. And so you put your faith in him. I know it's a heavy, heavy topic tonight, and we dealt with some uh, heavy issues. If you have questions about these things, I would love to talk to you about them more, uh, and we can uh, discuss these things. If you find yourself on that list but not knowing how do I start my faith in Christ, how do I repent of a sin, or how do I be freed from something, come up and talk to me after the service. I, we, we want to get you started and walking with the Lord Jesus. But now, let's go ahead and pray, and then we're going to get into, uh, we're going to take part in the Lord's table. I, I'm wondering if I can get a couple of volunteers to help uh, distribute the elements uh, tonight. So uh, after I finish praying, maybe you can just come up, the, those volunteers, and, and we'll, we'll distribute the elements. So Heavenly Father, Lord, we do thank you so much for your love. Uh, Lord God, we thank you that you love us so dearly that you've done everything to prevent us from suffering your wrath. Lord, those words, for, for you so loved the world that you gave your only begotten son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. Oh, how good those words are. Lord Jesus, that you said if we believe in you, we've crossed over from death to life. So we do thank you, Lord God. And if you're in this room this evening and you haven't received the forgiveness of the Lord Jesus, I want to encourage you. You pray right now, Lord Jesus, forgive me. I believe that you died on the cross for me. And I receive you as my Savior. Come into my life. Be my Savior. I'm ready to follow you. I'm turning from my sin now. And thank you, dear God. We love you so much, Lord. And we pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. I'm glad you came with us, uh, came here tonight and learned the word with us. Now may the Lord bless you. May he keep you. May he be gracious to you and give you peace. Amen.